What dangers lurk in the heart of the brand new COVID vaccine? Are the deaths attributed to COVID eclipsing deaths due to other causes, including murder? Are the lockdowns treated as part of the solution, resulting in the deaths and suffering of far greater numbers of people? How can ordinary Canadians and people around the world fare against the rising fascist threats encroaching our communities disguised as treatment? This week on the Global Research News Hour, as Canadians begin rolling up their sleeves to receive the magical cure for the biggest threat of our lifetimes, we get to hear the perspectives of the longtime constitutional lawyer defending our human rights from the government's chief medical personnel and media he believes are crippled by COVID measures. His name is Rocco Galati, and he will be my guest for the entire program. On this week's program, only in a fascist police state do you get away with what the government's been allowed to get away with. A conversation with Rocco Galati. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of December 11th, 2020. This program is funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaki, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Why can't the court historians and the mainstream press just accept the truth? The U.S. government initiated an unprovoked attack on Cuba in 1961 that was no different in principle from Japan's supposed unprovoked attack on the United States in 1941. The real reason for the unprovoked attack on Cuba was that U.S. national security state officials were furious that the Cuban Revolution had succeeded in ousting from power the pro-U.S. Cuban leader Fulgencio Batista, who was one of the most brutal, crooked, and corrupt dictators in the world. U.S. officials were even more furious that Castro, unlike Batista, wished to establish a truly independent nation, one whose government refused to take orders from U.S. officials, especially those in the Pentagon and the CIA. It was that desire for Cuban independence that motivated the U.S. national security state to do the same thing that Japan had supposedly done some 20 years earlier, initiate an unprovoked attack on another nation. That comes from the article Pearl Harbor and the Bay of Pigs by Jacob G. Hornberger, posted December 9th, originally published at the Future of Freedom Foundation. In the current atmosphere of confusion and distrust, the glee with which economists Klaus Schwab and Thierry Malleret greet the pandemic as harbinger of their 
proposed socioeconomic upheaval suggests that if COVID-19 hadn't come along by accident, they would have created it had they been able. In fact, World Economic Forum founder Schwab was already energetically hyping the Great Reset, using climate change as the triggering crisis before the latest coronavirus outbreak provided him with an even more immediate pretext for touting his plans to remake the world. The authors start right in by proclaiming that, quote, the world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more, unquote. That radical changes will shape a new normal. We ourselves will be transformed. Quote, Many of our beliefs and assumptions about what the world could or should look like will be shattered in the process, unquote. That comes from the article, The Great Reset or the Great Pretext for Dystopia, by Diana Johnstone. Posted December 9th, originally published on Consortium News. Compounding concerns about the safety of the vaccines themselves are concerns about the FDA's process for emergency authorization. Will the agency prioritize public safety over pharmaceutical industry profits? According to Ari Menachem, the whistleblower who told his story to Vanity Fair, that's not been his experience with the FDA, at least not when it comes to the safety of vaccine manufacturing. Menachem, who, according to Vanity Fair, holds a master's degree in biochemistry and worked for 13 years in quality assurance and compliance at several pharmaceutical companies before joining the FDA in 2014, was a member of the FDA's Team Biologics. The elite team's 14 members were responsible for inspecting 280 manufacturing plants that make vaccines and blood products for U.S. patients. In November 2018, Menachem filed a whistleblower complaint with the U.S. Office of Special Counsel after his initial report detailing a host of disturbing safety violations at a Merck vaccine plant was downgraded by FDA officials. That comes from the article, Whistleblower, FDA Failed to Address Biohazard Nightmare at Merck Vaccine Plant, published December 9th, originally published at Children's Health Defense. Fresh evidence shows that Major Brazilian meat traders, JBS, Marfrig, and Minerva, are failing to remove vast swaths of deforested Amazon land from their supply chains, which flawed audits by DNVGL and Grant Thornton did not identify. All while big banks like Barclays, Morgan Stanley, and Santander continue backing these meat traders despite many warnings of their failures. Well-known high street stores and brands like Burger King, Sainsbury's, Subway, McDonald's, Walmart, Carrefour, and Nestle are also recent customers of theirs. Some of this forest devastation also involves serious human rights abuses against indigenous peoples and land rights activists. Our expose clearly shows how relying on an unregulated 
private sector with voluntary no deforestation policies has failed to tackle forest destruction and could contribute to the permanent loss of the Amazon ecosystem. That comes from the article, Beef Banks and the Brazilian Amazon, posted December 9th, originally published at Global Witness. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. On Monday, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, announced that the country will be receiving its first batch of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine. Two days later, Health Canada helped seal the deal. After two months of reviewing the clinical trial data, they established that the vaccine's efficacy was 95% and was well tolerated by the recipients with an extremely favorable benefit-to-risk ratio. The vaccine is experimental using mRNA technology to message direct cells in the body to make protein useful in the immunization project. This inoculation procedure will first target people in the non-priority populations, meaning the elderly, healthcare workers, and members of the indigenous population. Other participants to receive the vaccine can join in time afterward during a process that wraps up by the end of the year. There are some people who have doubts about the new vaccine treatment being approved so quickly, indicating that it could have devastating consequences after injection, especially given Pfizer's record. I sent an email to Deanna Sanger. She is an insistent professor and GSK chair in immunology of infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba to inquire about the concerns, she wrote back to me the following. I do follow COVID-19 research and I am part of a clinical trial out of Toronto for a drug treatment, but I am not involved directly in the development of a COVID-19 vaccine. From many experts' opinions, including those in Health Canada and international agencies, there is no doubt Pfizer has followed the necessary protocols for approval and have significant safety data with over 40,000 people in their trial that the vaccine is safe. This was an unprecedented worldwide effort to learn about a novel virus and therefore a successful vaccine being rolled out quickly is due to the hard work of thousands of scientists without any corners being cut since the technology was already developed and just applied to SARS-CoV-2. Yes, there are still some unknowns, such as how long someone would be protected for, or if, even after vaccinated, if you could carry some virus and remain asymptomatic. But, safety-wise, Pfizer and Moderna have followed all necessary protocols that are required for any vaccine to be released to the public. I suspect, however, that members of the group Vaccine Choice Canada will not be satisfied with that statement. They are a volunteer-run, federally-registered, not-for-profit society 
formed in response to growing parental concern regarding the safety of current vaccination programs in Canada and act as an information and resource group committed to protecting children from the known risks of vaccines currently in use and those being developed for future use in Canada. They launched a legal challenge against the governments of Canada, Ontario and the City of Toronto in addition to Dr. Tam and other groups in order to contest the constitutionality of the lockdowns and other measures erected in response to the COVID virus. They are processing this challenge through the Constitutional Rights Centre and its director, Rocco Galati. He's a constitutional lawyer with over 30 years of experience challenging the government's actions in a variety of instances, and he has won a fair number of times. I had a chance to sit down with Rocco on the afternoon of December 10th to determine what motivated his clients and himself to take on the battle against COVID, including lockdowns, masks, and now the new contest against the COVID vaccine. Here is my conversation. Rocco, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks, Michael. Nice to see you again. Now, Rocco, uh, first of all, you launched uh, an action against, you already launched an action against the the province of Ontario with regard to uh, basically a a computer, uh, a constitutional declaration. Uh, could, Could you maybe explain uh, you know, what that agreement is all about and sure. update, a little, update us all a little bit. Sure. Well, on July 6th of this year, we filed a uh, quite a lengthy 191-page statement of claim suing Prime Minister Trudeau and his public health officer, Premier Doug Ford, the mayor of the City of Toronto, John Tory, and their public health officers, and basically challenging the COVID measures The primary challenge was that they didn't have the statutory prerequisites to actually declare an emergency under the act. Uh, And then there there were subsequent declarations. We sought that, you know, Trudeau and Ford were in fact dispensing a parliament and acting under the pretense of royal prerogative, that their measures by executive orders were ultra-various and unconstitutional. Oddly enough, two weeks after we filed, uh, most people don't realize, uh, Doug Ford revoked the declaration of the emergency and enacted another act called the Reopening of Ontario Act, a flexible response to COVID. Now, since then, he's been actually taking illegal actions, uh, emergency actions under an act that doesn't deal with emergencies. So in, in our statement of claim originally, whether it's out of the Emergency Act or otherwise, we also cha- challenge substantively the COVID measures as infringing, as infringing our constitutional rights and as being arbitrary, illogical, irrational, extreme, and just not tied to any uh, valid objective of the legislature or the executive. So then we were poised to bring a masking injunction at, uh, at, uh, at large. And uh, on October 2nd, it was our position very publicly and in the pleadings that, uh, you know, that uh, the masking should be voluntary. Second of all, for those who can't countenance masks, it was a human rights violation under disability and creed uh, uh, to be forced to wear a mask. And there's, 
there needed to be exemptions. And furthermore, if there were exemptions that nobody's required under the Human Rights Code to reveal their private medical information. And so, so bef uh, before we, we, we filed, uh, the province changed the masking regulations to reflect what we were bantering about. And that is, they said, you, you can have an exemption under these various categories, including any ground under the Human Rights Code. And they added a, a subsection to the regulation, it's regulation 546 of 20, section two, sub four and sub six, and sub six says, and a person invoking an exemption doesn't have to provide any information or evidence to support their exemption. So what happened was that the school boards and various schools are not respecting the provincial law. So now we've retooled the, the injunction to challenge uh, and we're poised to file shortly to challenge and sue the principals, the superintendents, the school boards uh, who are not adhering to the regulations as mandated by reference to the ministers of education's uh, uh, ordinance when they reopen schools. And part of that ordinance is that you have to accommodate, but the principals now are not accommodating to the insane point that even when they get a medical specialist saying this person needs an exemption, they're overriding it saying, no, we're not satisfied as if they're doctors. So we're gonna be suing these principals, superintendents personally, along with the school boards, because if they claim, quote, we're just following orders, which is what they're claiming, well then we're also gonna be suing the individual trustees and the school boards uh, because they're breaking the law, breaking the human rights code and they're infringing the charter. So that's where that's at. We're also, and we, ha and we have a group of parents. We're, we're also through that case and two other cases we're gonna be launching are gonna challenge the fraudulent use, uh, utterly fraudulent use of the PCR tests. Uh, the Lisbon Court of Appeal, uh, basing themselves on expert, expert uh, testimony from an Italian expert, set out what the scientific community who know what the PCR does and doesn't do, eminent scientists, that once the PCR test is tested beyond the 35th cycle, and all the cycles are exponential, even Fauci stated and conceded this, past the 35th cycle, the machine, even if you buy the bogus, is only 3% accurate at best. So we're testing in Ontario and most of Canada, 43 to 45 cycles. That means anybody tested, including a vegetable, gets a positive result, basically. We're also counting numbers, Michael, by deemed positives. That is through social contact tracing from your cell phone. So if you and I are sitting at a cafe for more than 15 minutes, and you've been tested positive, and we both have our cell phones, I'm deemed positive without ever being tested. And that's part of the numbers you're seeing. The other offensive things about these numbers is that they, 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 can, they can tout and flatulate all the numbers they want. The fact of the matter is the morbidity rate is no higher than any annual flu. So what do numbers mean? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing when you consider the fraudulent use of the PCR test. 
The PCR test, when it's used in the criminal courts, past a certain cycle is inadmissible because it's unreliable. So once you get to past the 25th cycle, it's unreliable. What they plan to do, Michael, once they uh, uh, dish out all these very dangerous vaccines, uh, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a disaster in the making, rushing a vaccine uh, that, that's been developed over seven months. The average time it's taken historically to develop a vaccine is, is, is 10 to 14 years. The fastest vaccine ever developed was the one for the measles. That took four years. Now, they've developed uh, these vaccines they're rolling out, uh, if you believe them, unless they had them pre-researched, which means everything was planned, uh, in six, seven months. And you have a vaccine company, Moderna, who's never made a vaccine in its life. And it's there just because Bill Gates owns it and his friends own it. And so you, you, you want to trust a vaccine from a company where this is their first vaccine that they manufacture? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty daring. Uh, the other thing, too, that the FDA came out with its report on the Pfizer vaccine trials. Five people died. Eight were severely injured. There's 21, there's 21 side effects they haven't revealed yet. Uh, and that's the other thing. Usually when you take a vaccine, you can go online and read the insert of the possible dangers up to including death. I haven't been able to locate the insert for this vaccine. So you're gonna be taking this vaccine without knowing its side effects. Mm -hmm. The English, the British Public Health uh, Department has issued a warning because of severe reactions. They've already started rolling it out there. that if you have any allergy whatsoever, do not take any vaccine that's being rolled out. So it's, as I said, it's, so now once they roll out this vaccine, getting back to the PCR test, when they're already telling you, Bonnie Henry in BC is already telling you in the spring, we're not gonna have any cases. Well, that's very easy to engineer. Here's how you have no cases. You rerun the PCR test, not at 43 or 45, but 15 or 18, and you'll get no cases. Because there's nothing to find. You gotta get to 43 and 45 and distort where everything is positive, if you want to, if you want to show negative uh, results, you just bring down the cycle rate, and this is the fraud they're pulling. So you'll see in the spring, uh, after the vaccines roll out, there won't be any cases. To me, it doesn't matter because pre-vaccine or post-vaccine, the morbidity rates are going to be the same. They're going to track the annual flu rates, people who die. And magically this year, and the first time in the history of the million years of evolution of, on the planet, according to Health Canada, if you can believe this, there was no flu. There were no influenza deaths. Of course not. They're all, they all got transferred to COVID deaths. It's the annual influenza with no higher rates of death than in previous years. So you're saying... So, it, sorry, are you saying that as the number of deaths due to COVID goes up, that the number of deaths due to other ailments, uh, including heart attacks, stroke, and so on, maybe going down or? that's That's been confirmed yesterday. That was confirmed yesterday, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Of course, because, you know, the guy, you know, the US health official clearly, and we have this in our statement of claim, that's Canada, 
the way they calculate COVID deaths, if you're on your last days in palliative care uh, uh, for cancer and you're po tested positive for COVID, they don't list that as a cancer death. They list that as a COVID death, mm -hmm. which is absolutely insane, insane. Yeah. So, so this is what's happening. Uh, and now you've got these vaccines that are extremely dangerous. Could you, um, looking at, well, I mean, I'm, I'm from Winnipeg, which is apparently the hot spot of, uh, of the country. I mean, per capita anyway. And, you know, one of it, it's it, for a lot of people, it, it really rings home because there are so many people in the hospital. I mean, a, growing numbers of people in ICU beds have COVID and uh, the, well, you, you mentioned the RT-PCR count as well, but they, they, they recite it every single day. Um, but, you know, in terms of the numbers in the beds uh, that, are, that are dying, I mean, people know them. Uh, I mean, well, no, let, let me take issue with that. According to whom? Yeah, well. According I mean, to whom? Well, you know, there was a, just in, in the neighborhood the other day, there, there was a, a woman who was, uh, who'd gotten it, uh, well, who, who had it, and then was found to, you know, having basically you know, said he was dying of COVID. I mean, she did die. And she. Uh, but, but, okay, but that's anecdotal, Michael. The stats just don't, you know, the statistics compiled by uh, Health Canada just don't bear that, as, that assertion out. Look. According to CTV News, and then they pulled the article down, only 180 people in Canada have died of COVID who were not either in long-term care or over the age of 70. Okay? So for 180 deaths, if, even if you believe their stats, which I'm suspect because they don't, they don't provide details. So for 180 deaths, you have burnt the economy to the ground. You have removed every civil liberty under the charter. You've locked down. You've created this panic, this fear. The rate of death for COVID victims falls dramatically when they fall below a certain age. Rockel Gulati made a point by digging up a statistic cited by the Justice Centre against the province of Alberta. It refers to a population under 60. Let me give you a statistic that should drive this home. In the city of Calgary, they, they, if you take the figures by population, there's one person who dies for every 210,000 inhabitants of the city of Calgary. That's one in 210,000, okay? 13 people in Calgary in 200,000 are murdered every year. Okay, so you got you got to you got to you got to bite that, chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it and masticate or the other way around. So the murder rate in Calgary and it's the same in all in most municipalities is 13 times the covid death. Second of all, the covid measures and the, and the estimates vary. The lowest is 8.3. The higher end is 10 to 14, or 12 to 14, rather. The COVID measures are killing 8, 12 people for every purported COVID death. So the cure 
is exponentially much worse than the disease could ever be if it is a disease. There's a lot of evidence now from eminent scientists and doctors who have blatantly and clearly stated this is just a flu, mm -hmm. period. Why? Because the morbidity rates. You can panic and wet and soil your diaper all you want. The only statistic that's relevant is death rates vis-a-vis -vis population. So the death rate from COVID, even if I accept the government numbers, is at around one quarter of 1% of the population. In a bad influenza season, that could be as high as 1%. Okay? We're at one quarter of 1% of the population. Historically, a pandemic was defined as where at least 7% of your population died. If you look at the Spanish influenza and the Black Plague and all those other ones. So if we applied the 7% rule, you would have had right now about 26 million Americans dead and about 28 million, I'm sorry, and about uh, uh, 2.8 million Canadians dead. They have, uh, uh, Health Canada has tabulated just over 11,000. But even that's fraudulent because now they're pretending that last year's flu season and this year's flu season are one flu season. Those 11,000 start counting from last November. So we're tabulating two flu seasons in one. The annual, the average annual death rate from a flu influenza season in Canada is just over 8,000. 81, 8,300 per year. We're at nine, 10,000 and we've destroyed our society. Well, obviously there's a larger global agenda here. I mean, you gotta, you, you, you gotta be comatose if you buy this crap. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Rocco, we've got to move on to uh, the issue of the lockdowns themselves, because um, right. I mean, here in Winnipeg, we've been had a lockdown for about three or four weeks now. And the, the, the cases, the numbers that are coming in, they, they seem to be still 300 every, every week. And then they say you know, 12 or 18 uh, you know, record numbers of deaths uh, just recently. Um, well, that's according to their saying anyway. Excuse um, me. The number the number of infections is up to the number of deaths is not there. That's just total propaganda. That's propaganda, and the way they determine a, a, a death with COVID is absolutely fraudulent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Ask your question. Yeah. Well, I guess my question happens to be that the uh, the people that are uh, I mean, there are large numbers of people. Uh, who I mean, I, I think that the, the, the recipients probably a little bit silent these days, but I mean, in this city, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult these days to walk around, uh, certainly in the downtown area without wearing a mask. I mean, you're, you're almost shunned if you're, if you're wearing a mask, but, and you can't go into any other store, any indoor space without having a mask uh, or, or in the hospital. And I, I wonder how do you make the case for 
releasing the lockdowns, especially when there are all these high numbers of people out there? Because, I mean, they, they say that uh, if we got rid of the masks and if we got rid of the uh, lockdowns and so on, that the, 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 the numbers are going to soar again. So they have to do this in order to okay, keep so, Okay, quite apart that the numbers are fraudulent and unscientific exercise, even if you believe them, right? The fact that the numbers are going to soar, and the other argument they make is that the deaths would have been hired if they didn't take these measures, is what we call in a court of law sheer speculation. The only way you could prove that on a balance of probability, right, is if you take the countries that took the full measures and ruined their societies, and then you take the 14 to 16 countries that didn't put in any measures and see how they fare. And there was a, there was a study a few months ago, uh, about three months ago, from the University of Mainz in Germany that did that comparison. And they found that the countries who didn't take any measures actually fared out better than the countries who did take measures. And second of all, the best factor was they didn't ruin their economies. So could you give me an example of uh, the countries that didn't go through with the, uh, the lockdown situation that may have fared better? Well, Sweden, Sweden, uh, Madagascar. There's a number of countries. They're, they're listed. The 14 countries are listed in the, in the study. I mean, this is a, I, I, we put this, I put this in uh, my statement of claim. I, you know, I, I'd have to refresh my memory, but that study is there. And they, so how else do you prove one way or the other that the measure actually saved lives, but by comparing countries that didn't take measures with countries that did. And in fact, as I said, <laughs> the COVID measures themselves are killing to, to, to a factor of 10 to one and more what COVID is purportedly killing. And the other thing, the most sick, sick area where it just, it just shocks the conscience. It's a crime against humanity. Since April, 10,000 more children around the world are starving to death every month because of the COVID measure. The UN World Food Bank first estimated that 130 million people around the globe were on the brink of starvation by this month. And then they upped the, they upped their estimates to say that as, ma as many as 10% of the global population will see food shortages. That's 750 million people, Michael. Even take the 130 million who could die of starvation because of the COVID disruption, the, the disruption of food supply because of the COVID measure. That's a crime against humanity. They were estimating as many as you know, 1.5 million people would die globally. Well, 130 million? You kill 130 million to save 1.5, right? It, it's just unconscionable. Well, have you been able to confirm, like, absolutely that the that that increase in in people getting you know going through poverty and uh, getting going through all the, the the hunger and so on that have definitively been linked with the uh, the lockdowns. Yeah, well, the UN Food Bank is the one who came out with the UNICEF came out with the 10,000 uh, extra children starving to death every month. That's a UN stat. The the warning about the 130 million was a UN agency. The warning about the 10% is a UN agency. It's out of the horse's mouth and out of the horse's ass 
that these crimes against humanity are being confessed to, right? Mm. And do you hear anything in the media about it? Do you hear our government being concerned about that? No. You know, and what about what about the confirmation in Britain that a comparison between April of 2019 and April of 2020 showed that in 2020 in April, because of the isolation, 10, just over 10,000 more Alzheimer's patients died than the previous month of the previous year. That's directly tied to the COVID measures. Mm. In Canada, suicides, drug, uh, addict, uh, drug overdoses have been confirmed by our health officers to have skyrocketed because of the COVID measures. So that's we are now having people in old folks' homes in Canada opting for assisted suicide rather than continuing to live in these conditions. And what does Prime Minister Trudeau do? He relaxes the conditions to allow them to kill themselves quicker. It was a 10-day cooling off period. He's removing that. If you don't have a power of attorney, any staff member of the home can consent to your suicide. You don't have to go to court anymore. I mean, this is, this is unconscionable. Could you talk about the issue of, uh, I mean, with these sorts of uh, excess deaths, I mean, could you s speak to situations where, because I mean, we've been under a lockdown for three to four weeks in the city and the numbers of people are escalating, even though everybody's masked up and, and they can't easily, you know, it, it's hard to understand that they would be projecting. And I get all of that, but you know, what, what some of the things, how some of these things might have uh, un by the, the lockdowns might be influencing things just in the in the area itself well okay this so the insanity of the agenda is really made clear by what you just said the world health organization and every eminent scientist who has studied lockdowns all say the same thing lockdowns do not work to prevent the spread of an airborne virus so why the frigging are we doing this? Because what we do know is that lockdowns do lead to a 42% increase in heart attack deaths. That's been documented. Sexual abuse, domestic abuse, drug uh, uh, overdose, suicides, complete financial ruin of millions of Canadians. If lockdowns don't work according to the World Health Organization, and every scientist who studied them, why are we engaging in them except for a political tool of obedience and literally torture of the population? Hmm. To acquiesce to an international agenda, to vaccinate everybody with a tracker in it? It's no longer a conspiracy theory. You know, when I filed my statement of claim, people were saying, what you're alleging is nuts. It's been admitted now by the co-conspirators, Bill Gates and all these people. Bill Gates just finished a video telling you how the uh, the vaccines are trackable. The government of Ontario has just told you now, when you take the vaccine, you have to give all your personal information so they can call you back. No, it's because the vaccine that they give you has a tracking number, and then they attach an identity to it. Mm -hmm. And so they can track you anywhere in the world after they give you the vaccine, because it's got it's going to have a, a nano chip the size of a grain of sand that holds all your information and acts as a transponder and a, tr a tracer. This is not this is not speculation. 
It's been admitted by these people putting this shit out. Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum. World Economic Forum just put out a paper saying, uh, you know, entitled, make the human body an information platform. We're talking about Borg stuff. And it's not speculation. It's been put out by the people who are behind this global agenda. Now, uh, when we get to the when we get to the topic of the vaccines, I mean, they're coming into this country uh, in a few days, and they're going to start injecting people. Um, I know that the first ones online are, are you sort of say, elders and, and First Nations. Um, yeah, sure. I, I don't know. Is is there potentially any any significance, you know, having to do with the, uh, uh, I mean, what would the, the in, in, indigenous peoples uh, maybe getting it first? Or I mean, I, I don't know if we can necessarily. Well, I, I've said it. So, so you're going to give the vaccines to the most vulnerable people, right? Yeah. So the most likely to die from a vaccine reaction are the elderly. So you're going to give it to them first. And then you're going to give them to a people who don't have a history, historically, of, of vaccination. So they're going to get the most violent reaction too. And they'll go down the list of who the most likely people are to die and viciously react to the vaccine. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. So the vaccines are voluntary only for this reason. The Supreme Court of Canada and all the appellate courts have ruled in Canada that you cannot administer any medical treatment or procedure without express uh, uh, knowledgeable consent. Right. Okay, so if you don't consent, they can't. Now, of course, they've already threatened that if you don't consent, then there are going to be vicious restrictions on your freedom. Well, the jurisprudence also says that if you try to coerce, right, if you try to coerce somebody's consent, well, it's not voluntary, it becomes mandatory. So if you don't, if you don't get vaccinated, you're basically locked out in your house because you can't travel, you can't go anywhere. Well, that's like saying to a guy who's been arrested, if you don't confess, you don't get out of jail until you confess. Mm -hmm. That's illegal. That's unconstitutional. Yeah, and the idea, I mean, there are some people in the, in the country, like the, the temporary labor, especially the, uh, they've been, they, like, there's already been a lot of uh, reporting on, on how bad they have it in terms of how, how much mobility they have while this COVID has been taking place. You know, so one wonders, I mean, they're probably going to be like the first to have to, to have a, a shot in the arm. And they do generally have to put up with a lot more stuff than the rest of us citizens. So is, is that an issue of, of how uh, our liberty will be uh, evaporated in the wake of this uh, scene? Well, it's been stomped on by goose-stepping boots, not evaporated. These are fascistic measures that are being undertaken by the government and other governments around the world, you know? Only in a fascist police state do you get away with what the government's been uh, allowed to get away with on a scare and on fraudulent science and with the complicity of the media. Because they don't, they don't report the Nobel Prize winners and the eminent scientists who say this is bogus. Yeah. Censorship that 
censorship that Goebbels would have dreamed for. Wow. Um, so you talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, well. And Michael, by the way, I'm drinking San Pellegrino water. Uh, <laughs> the, Irish, uh, the Irish members of your audience should not think it's Irish beer, okay? Okay, for sure. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the role of the media, okay? I mean, with this one community radio station as an exception, uh, the media has uh, vaulted behind the main story uh, more than, than any other. I mean, every time you hear about the, the vaccine, there's no doubts about, well, how do we know it's safe? It's all, wow, it's so glorious, at least that I'm hearing. And, and well, I mean, what, you know, what you even the about? vaccine companies admit the vaccines cause severe damage. That's why they put it on their inserts, so you can't sue them. The reason that part of the reason the government is making this voluntary, right? And then try to coerce you and handcuff you through other means to quote voluntarily take the vaccine is so you can't sue the vaccine companies. Because if it's mandatory, then they're suable, as is the government. If they put in a, a mandatory vaccine order, anybody who gets damaged can then sue the government because they've inoculated you against your will and you've been damaged. But so long as it's nominally voluntary, they're not liable. That's what a 1985 Supreme Court of Canada decision decided out of Quebec because they weren't mandatory, the court said. So you have the inserts, you have the warning, buyer beware. That's the idea. But they certainly aren't pushing this as a true voluntary regime. They're saying, well, it's voluntary, but if you don't take it, you can't fly, you can't take a train, you can't buy food, you can starve to death because you can't get out. And that's what the masking exercise was all about. It was the it was the appetizer to the vaccines. Yeah, you don't have to mask, but look how impossible life is if you that, don't mask. I mean, you know, I, uh, uh, a lot of people don't mask and they assert their rights, but it's a battle every day. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I had the uh, Mark Crispin Miller on the show, uh, well, weeks ago now, and he said that uh, when you go through all the literature, uh, there's no, well, the, the, the one issue, the, the one uh, paper that seemed to motivate people was this uh, one idea that, that came out, and it was, they were produced by Texas A&M, but it turns out that, that that document had been basically picked apart by other scientific resources in the community, right. and that Texas A&M had also been having a, a contract with a vaccine company, which means that there's a, a bit of a conflict there. So, but of all course. the other that I'm, I'm seeing, you know, document after document after document saying that masks have little, if any. Uh, 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 oh, please, Michael, I have an expert affidavit prepared from the masking challenge to the schools that runs 840 pages. Every single random controlled study since Adam and Eve. Random controlled study, which is the only scientific way to do a study, says masks do nothing for airborne viruses. The only studies that purport to say they protect are the post-COVID uh, studies that are not random, uh, uh, random uh, controlled study. They're anecdotal, they're observational. Those aren't considered scientific studies. And in fact, the only post-COVID uh, study 
of any of any credibility. The one that was done in uh, uh, by the Danes that was suppressed for three months, which uh, was the uh, studied the highest number of people, conclusively again said masks don't do anything to prevent the transmission of an airborne virus. But what they do do, as they did in the Spanish influenza of 1918, is they collect a hell of a lot of bacteria. And in the, uh, in the uh, influenza of 1918, the so-called Spanish flu, the high number of deaths were in fact caused by the buildup of bacterial infection going into the lungs from the masks. From the masks. Yeah. Right? You're breathing in your own bacteria. That's that's accumulates in the mass. Yeah. Well, what about uh, this idea of uh, what we go what going forward? I mean, well, I guess immediately, uh, what steps should people be taking in terms of, you know, when the the doctors come and or the soldiers, I should say, and, and they're bringing, putting a, going to put a, a shot of this vaccine in their arm to uh, save them. I and mean, what, what, what should we be doing in terms of, uh, you know, either, you know, should we be demanding more information about what's really in the mask or, or just. I, I, I think, I think. I think people, before they even consider saying yes, should demand the the insert. What are the possible side effects of this vaccine? And if they don't give them to you, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble. Because I've seen all the inserts, Michael, of every vaccine through the course of my challenge for my clients. And all of them warn the severe neurological damage, loss of speech, loss of muscular control, and or death amongst some of the many varied possible severe reactions, and that five to seven percent of all vaccines on a spectrum of mild to severe, including death, it caused five to seven percent of people who are vaccinated, especially children, are injured. And this is why they have vaccine injury courts in the States so every G20 country, except for Canada and Russia, compensate for vaccine injury. Doesn't that tell you they concede vaccine injury? They're playing the numbers. They say, oh, yeah, but, you know, we could, you know, that's just a small percentage of people. Well, if you're in the, in the, if you're in the group that has a predisposition, genetic predisposition, like any other allergy, to get damaged by vaccine, vaccines, you don't care about your group vis-a-vis the 93%, because in your group, it's 100% of the people who are going to get injured. So to minimize people by numbers is, again, criminal. It's a crime against humanity. And what they do by doing that is they just buy out the injuries instead of being forced to spend money on research to determine and to do individual tests to see who's more prone to injury and then protect those people by either not vaccinating or having counter, uh, you know, medical uh, 
uh, treatment for them or, uh, or, or, or medication. I know a lot of, a lot, I know a lot of integrative uh, medical doctors here and in Europe who basically will give certain naturopathic or other medicine with the vaccine to counteract the possibility of an adverse reaction. They don't, the, 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 the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies don't have to spend money on research because, you know, there's a fund there to just buy off the dead and the maimed and the crippled and the neurologically damaged children and adults. You know, it's, it's a butcher shop. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm wondering then uh, if we don't resist, if, if we let the, uh, the government and the pharmaceutical companies uh, go ahead and, 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 and we're obedient to that. I mean, looking down the pike uh, a year, two years, five years, what's this country going to look like? Well, it's going to look like what it's actually been uh, but for the pretense that we're also intelligent. It's going to be a mass of moronic sheep whose DNA is going to get altered by these vaccines. This is the new, this is the first of vaccines that's going to alter your DNA. Okay? This, these vaccines, because they have dog and monkey and embryonic tissue in them, are going to cause massive autoimmune uh, uh, triggers and, and, and disorders. And they're, they're basically there to re-engineer the human body. And if you don't believe it, research it. Okay? People, as Bob Dylan says, people want to close their eyes and pray for rain. Mm. You know? And they're doing that in the desert. Mm. You, you, you have to research what's being injected in you. The information is out there. Research it and read it. And then say... Am I going to take this risk? Right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a if you have a 99.75% surviving COVID, why would you take a vaccine that has a five to seven percent chance of injuring or killing you? Why would you do that? Makes no sense to me. And you have that that actual statistic. You, you can present that as well. Of course, it's there. It's there. That's the stats. Mm -hmm. That's okay. the stats. Okay. Well, just to maybe wrap up now, um, your uh, your what's on your agenda? Like the, the, you have not only a, a court case in Ontario, but there are well, other provinces that are. Right. There's the, on our constitutional rights center agenda, we're going to be filing in British Columbia very soon, similar challenge to Ontario. We have an application on behalf of parents and their children uh, to challenge the masking, uh, the masking requirements and the PCR test upon which all these school protocols are, 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 are based. Uh, uh, we're, we're going to be, I'm going to be bringing also a habeas corpus application for special needs children who are literally prisoners in their own home with the lockdowns. It's offensive. And, and uh, those are the three things that are uh, right on the radar at the doorstep. Okay. And uh, okay. Just, just to close, uh, are there any like uh, quick, uh, do you have any quick advice for uh, the audience or for anyone else who's, who's hoping to, to see some sort of a change 
in uh, the way we are uh, adapting and uh, you know accommodating these things how what what should they be doing to uh, to help well they should do what they what they they should do what they're comfortable with and what they can at the end of the day right notwithstanding all the money this international cabal has gates and friends notwithstanding the coercive complicit power of our governments, notwithstanding that they have the military and the police, there's one thing they don't have, which we possess, and that's our consent and our obedience. They can't force you to consent or obey their illegal actions or laws. You own that, they don't. And throughout history, that's been the case. And so we have that power that they do not possess. So if people are not comfortable with these measures, assert your constitutional rights and say, no, thank you, including the vaccines. They cannot impose mandatory testing. It's unconstitutional. They've conceded that. They cannot impose mandatory vaccines. Doug Ford has conceded that because it's the law. You can't, the courts say you can't inject somebody without their consent. So assert your rights. And then when they put in restrictions because you didn't want to get vaccinated, we'll be, we'll be back in court to challenge that. Okay. Well, you know, Rocco Gulati, it's, it's been a treat to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I, I wish you well in your uh, various endeavors and uh, hope that we can all as a, as a community It'll come together in a way that's going to be beneficial for all. So, Rocco Golati, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Michael. And just on that last point, a community comes together in two ways <laughs> by coming together or by individuals coming together <laughs> to form a community. It doesn't have to be organized. If people of conscience come to the same place and realization individually at the same time, there's your community. Okay. okay? So exercise your own will first, and then the community will materialize. Thanks, Rocco. Thanks. That was my conversation with Rocco Gulati, the Toronto-based constitutional attorney, speaking to me on December 10th, 2020. If you would like more information about him and his work, be sure to visit the site, constitutionalrightscenter.ca. That's it for this week. Next week, we pay tribute to three activists and journalists who passed away in 2020. Be sure to join us then. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Centre for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaking, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for listening.